And uh, so this morning we're continuing with this, uh, with, with that, uh, with that thought, and, and the idea of us standing in the gap between God and the world, um, between the difficult situations uh, that we find in the world, perhaps things that are local or not so local. We know that there is a gap between God and His creation. And last week, John showed a, a great picture. I thought a great image. Of, uh, of, of us standing in the gap between God and the world. And it was in conjunction, in partnership with Jesus, standing in that gap together uh, between God and a broken world. Um, God's people pointing the way, not just, not just pointing the way to God, but being that, that conduit, that channel to God, the answer to everything. Uh, and John was looking at a, a, a gentleman, a chap called Elijah, Elisha, sorry, um, and the anointing that was on Elisha and, and the miracles that happened as he crossed over through the Jordan and, uh, and, and how he was bringing in the spirit, he brought God's goodness and compassion and miracles of life and healing to a broken and desperate society. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to continue with another guy of that nature, somebody called Ezekiel. And he did so much that he had his own book in the Bible. Okay. Um, David introduced us uh, a couple of weeks ago to this idea of standing in the gap. And, and as I say, it's based on the book of Ezekiel, but I'm going to look at it in a bit more detail as we look at, uh, at that character. Because as we look in the Bible, as you read the Bible, that's where we find out what God is like and what matters to him. That's where we've got to go. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal to us what God is like and what matters to him. So, as a leadership, um, I, I just wanted to emphasize at the beginning, as a, as a leadership, we're very much united behind this, this idea, this theme, this thought of us standing in the gap. We really believe it's what God is saying to us as a leadership and us as a church. And we do believe that God wants to do something new in us as a leadership and us in a church. And we want to be living in that place um, the four of us definitely we've talked about this we want to be living in that place and lead the church into it of standing in the gap um, it's not I want to, 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 to not think it's just a theme for this for this uh, for this part of the year but it's something that we believe that God wants to transform us um, you know I pray that God will transform me and transform us as we carry this out and um, it's something that sits right within us in our hearts and in our guts um, and we don't want to preempt what the next stage is beyond this. We're only at the stage of telling you this is what God's saying. We, we, we talk long and hard as, as a group, as a team, saying, what's, what, what's it going to look like? And the truth is we don't know, okay? So, but it's a journey, and this is where God has told us to start, and this is where we're off in it. So um, I'm going to read from the book of Ezekiel. And um, I'm going to read quite a bit of it, to be honest, so if you want to bear with me. And I'm going to start at chapter 1, verse 25, and I'm going to read into chapter 3. And we need to do this um, to get a good perspective. There are 48 books in there, uh, chapters in there. I'm not going to read them all today. Okay. Well, we might. That's all right. Okay. So I'm starting in chapter 1, verse 25. And, this is, and Ezekiel, before this, he has some incredible visions of God. And he sees these great big wheels with eyes on them. And he sees them moving all over the earth. And this is God's presence. And he sees these incredible beings, heavenly beings as well. And then he sees the glory of God. And it says this. 
Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads, and they stood with lowered wings. These were the beings, the angelic beings. And above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from down, uh, and that from there down, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. Then the fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, they are, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or of their words. Do not be afraid, um, though the, the briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them. Though they are a rebellious house, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. And in it was a scroll which he unrolled to me. And on both sides of it were written the words, Lament and mourning and woe. And he said to the son of me, he said to me, son of man, eat what's before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said to me, son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said to me, son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure language and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But to the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me for the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will give you a forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go to the, country, go to the countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of the Lord be praised in his dwelling place. The sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them. A loud rumbling sound. And the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord upon me. And I, went to, I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kebar River. 
And there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, overwhelmed. I bet he was. And at the end of the seven days, by, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word, of the word I speak and give them warning from me. For when I say to the wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness and his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you yourself will be saved. And again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered, and I'll hold you accountable for his blood. But if you warn the righteous man uh, not to sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning and you yourself will be saved. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there and he said to me, get up and go out into the plain and there I will speak to you. So I got up and went to the plain and the glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory I'd seen in the Kebar River and I fell face down. Okay, so we're going to unpack some of that. And, and as I said, the, the book of Ezekiel, it's got 48 chapters and it splits down into very distinct sections. And section four, chapter four to 24, it deals largely with the judgment of Jerusalem and Judah, the judgment of God. Oh, they have not reflected his goodness and his glory. And David went into some detail a couple of weeks ago about their behaviours and how they were, um, how they were behaving badly, how they were um, immoral. And they were also, they were idolatrous as well. They started to worship the gods and the nations around them, and they were ungrateful. And it culminated in these people indulging in child sacrifice. And then the next set of chapters, 25 to 32, you've got the judgment of the countries that were around them, because they delighted in the downfall of Judah and Jerusalem. And God judges them. And when I say they delighted in it, they piled in quite viciously. You can read it at some of the things they did. And God wasn't happy because they overstepped the mark on what they'd been told to do. And then the last set of chapters, 33 to 48, it's all about the restoration. It's about restoration. In this instance, God talks about restoring Israel and he talks about building a new temple. That temple is something quite incredible. You read it. It's not like the temples that have been built so far. So I'm thinking it's yet to happen, but that's up to you. We're not going to concentrate on that this morning. So many years before Ezekiel was born, um, the nation of Israel, uh, it's become split. You've got the 10 tribes in the north, the two tribes in the south. And the ones in the north, they get conquered by the Assyrians as part of the judgment and punishment of God, and they're taken into exile. And what we find now is years later, we've got Judah and Jerusalem, and it faces the same judgment from God. And they're about to be taken into captivity in Babylon. And the king of Babylonia, he turns up and he, he defeats them, and he takes all the top people, let's call them the top people of the country, the king, um, all his courtiers, the priests, all sorts of people of that, craftsmen. He takes them away and he takes them into captivity in Babylon. And what he does, he puts a puppet king in place. And this puppet king, when the Babylonian king has gone, decides 
tell you what, I'll go and get, I'll go get help from the Egyptians. They'll sort us out. And it, what happens is the king of Babylon finds out about this and he's not happy. And he comes back a few years later and he destroys Jerusalem. And he destroys the temple. And during this time, Ezekiel is there living with the people that were taken away to Babylon. And he's living there with them and he's warning them. This has happened because of the way you've behaved, because of your disobedience, because you're idolatrous, because you're, you're, you're immoral, and because you're ungrateful. And he warns them and warns them. And they're saying, well, no, Jerusalem still stands. We're going to be all right. But then eventually God's judgment comes to pass and Jerusalem falls and the temple falls. And so Ezekiel lives this out for 30, 40 years in this time, prophesying to them and speaking to them and standing in the gap. It's not a short-term project for him. It's a long-term project. And there are some key things I think we can learn from the bit that we read from the book of Ezekiel. He had incredible vision of God. He understood who God was and he was impart, it was imparted to him an incredible vision of God. He saw the glory of God. The next thing was the task he was given, the words he was given, they seemed bitter but to him, they were sweet like honey and they were food to him. The task that God gave him was his food and it was sweet to him. And the third thing, he assigns him the task of being a watchman. Now, a watchman was a very important person. He was the guy who had to stand on the wall of the city and warn that there was an impending doom. And if he didn't do that, his own life would be forfeit. If the bad guys came and he hadn't warned everybody, he would be held accountable. That's what we see when we read about how God says to him, you're going to be accountable for who you tell, what you tell them. And the fourth thing was, he set his, his, God set his mind, his face, his forehead like flint. He gave him determination to see the task through. So let's just unpack then a little bit. You see, as we stand in the gap, we need to have a good and a right vision of God. We won't be able to do it unless we have that vision of God. I've just realised, I put a slide up, didn't I? There was a slide up there about the, the showing the, the geography, wasn't there? I should have pointed to it and explained it. I might do that later. Sorry about that. I'm getting excited. Uh, so, and we are fortunate that through Jesus, we have a vision of God. David read this morning from Philippians, and it tells us that in Jesus, that's how we start to see God. And Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. We are to know God better. We're on a journey with God. Our life is a journey with God. And we're to get to know him better and better. And as we do, our vision and understanding of God increases. In the book of 1 John, the writer says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And that's another thing we need to hold in our vision of God. You know, I've been reading some terrible things here about God's judgment. And we need to hold as well that we're God's children. Our vision of God, a God who is holy and glorious, sinless, all-powerful, all-seeing, 
great and mighty. He is prepared to allow us to know him and get to know him better. And then, as we get to know him better, we see that he treats us as his children and Jesus even encourages us to call him Father. In the growth group, we've been looking in the book of Genesis and there's a phrase that keeps coming up about people who walk with God. And that's what he calls us to do. He calls us to walk with him and get to know him better. People like Enoch and Noah and Adam did. And I believe that as we're being called to stand in the gap, we can't do it with a good, wholesome and correct vision of God. And we need to get to know him better. A vision in God, our vision of God has got to include the father and child relationship, but also that God is holy and sinless and he hates sin, that he cares for our needs, that he knows us individually, that he's bigger than any problem we face and he's bigger than any world event. He created the world and people matter to him and he waits for people to repent. And he has a plan and that plan will culminate in the return of Jesus. All these things and so much more need to be part of our vision of God and who God is. Okay. Yeah, and sorry. And then we know that God is love and the Bible tells us that God is love, but God is also a judge. And he will judge this world and he does judge it. And we need to hold as Christians those two thoughts in our minds and it's not always easy. But God is holy, but he's also love. And we need to hold them both. We live in a time of grace. And I think that, I think that just a, a casual look around at what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, the incredible things that I've found being written in our media in the last few weeks about a momentum that seems to want to take us to war. Isn't it incredible? And the frenzy. And so, in a work environment, we, we had to do, um, we had a seminar on um, all about stress in the workplace. And people had to uh, uh, workshop and like, you know, speak, what thing gives you the most stress? And the one that I found incredible that I'd never thought of, because I live in my own little world anyway most of the time, was... Politics and world events are giving people stress. Isn't that incredible? And here we see a man of Ezekiel. He was dealing with politics and world events and superpowers. But we need to know that we have a vision of God in it all, in God's plans as we stand in the gap. So the first thing was a good vision of God. The second thing was that he was a watchman and he was given this specific role as watchman. Ezekiel was given the task of being a watchman and his duty was to warn of impending doom. And he was held responsible for it as well. Now, I firmly know and believe that the covenant that we live under, and it actually happens when you read it in the book of Ezekiel as well, that individuals are made responsible for their own sin and their own standing before God. There is no two ways about that. But as God's people, we have a responsibility to be God's people and to witness and to tell. That's what he was told he had to do. 
And I do feel that there's a sense that it's more than just being a responsibility, because that could be an instruction that we could put up or put down. I feel that God wants to give us a burden for it. Yeah. I feel that God wants to give us, um, um, as a church and a leadership, we, we know that God wants to give us a burden for his burdens, the things that matter to him. And that's part of standing in the gap, that he will give us his burdens. Because God wants us to show what he's like to a broken world and to show his grace and compassion and his righteousness and his good. He wants us to own his issues, carry them with us. And are we prepared to do that? Are we prepared to avail ourselves and submit? We were singing that on the last, the last song, weren't we? You know, we were singing that. And this is where it starts to really put pressure on us. Are we prepared to be that people? And I believe he wants to impart his burdens to us, the things that matter to him. And I think that's a key part, as I said, of standing in the gap. Not going to God with our plans and our ideas, but coming to God and saying, what's on your heart, God? What's on your heart? What do you want us to do? What do you want us to be? And... Uh, as leaders, we talk quite openly and, 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 and lovingly about the things that burden us. And some of those things are, 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 are individual burdens that, 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 where we've got a problem, and some of those things are where we feel that God is saying to us. But, and, and it's come from a real heart of, of wanting to support each other and pray with each other and stand in the gap together and with each other, not carrying burdens individually. And as I thought about this and about burdens, I can see that it, within us we can start to think, oh, I haven't got time for that. I've got so many other things going on in my life. But I do wonder if some of the essence of what Jesus said when he said, come to me if you're weary. Come to me and I, come and take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. My burden is light. He'll equip us to carry the burden. He will. And as watchmen, as watchwomen, where will it lead? Well, I don't know yet, but we do know that God has spoken. And how will it be worked out? And, and some people will even be saying, and, and David and John both alluded to this, we snatched to what we're going to do. How is it going to work out? We don't know yet, but we know that he wants us to stand in the gap and carry the burdens and the things that matter to him and be responsible to uh, be responsive to God. And it may coalesce and converge with issues that you face. I, I don't know yet. I, I can't say. And there are times when it might make us uncomfortable because Ezekiel, he had times that were very uncomfortable because he didn't have to just go and say things. He had to act out some incredibly crazy things as well. He had to take, God told him to take a tablet of clay and do a drawing of it of the siege of Jerusalem and not speak. So he sat there in front of a load of people and, and he, he, did, he did this drawing on this clay and he showed battering rams and he showed Jerusalem and not speak because it was a sign to them. And he must have felt a bit of a burk. He must have done, but he did it. And then another time God told him to cut his hair off and cut his beard off and chop it up and burn some of it, scatter some of it to the wind. And God was saying, I'm going, to I'm going to destroy some of you. And some are going to be scattered to the winds. 
And if you're watching, this is what I'm saying. And he did other things. He had to, he had to lie on his side for 390 days and then on the other side for 40 days. Now, if I lie on my side for five minutes, I get pins and needles and cramp, things like that. He had to do it for 390 days because he was telling Israel that represents how long you were disobedient and then 40 days on the other side because he was telling Judah that's how long you were disobedient. And it was a sign to them. He had to be a sign to them. And it was uncomfortable. And then finally, finally, his wife passed away and God said, don't mourn her. And that's going to be a sign to them because the day she died, was the day that Jerusalem and the temple fell. And God said, they'll be so shocked that they won't mourn and you've got to do the same. It's a sign to them. Quite incredible, uncomfortable things that he had to do and be to make this happen. And standing in the gap could be uncomfortable. I can't, I can't pretend it might not be because it will involve commitment, won't it? But God gives us things to equip us. It's good news. And the first thing, he said that the, the words that Ezekiel was given, although they were a lament of mourning and war, they tasted sweet. And when we stand in the gap, the, the task can seem difficult and seem burdensome. But you know, the things God gives us to do, they become our food and our drink. And they become something that feeds us and a delight to us. Later on in the book of Ezekiel, there's two places I found where he said this, but God says this. Do I take pleasure from the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from the ways and live? God gets no pleasure from the destruction of anyone and the death of anyone. He wants people to repent, to turn and to live Everything God does is to lead to life, goodness. His heart is for people to be saved. Either in the emptiness of a present godlessness or from the hell of a godless eternity. He wants to rescue people from it. And these are real things that will happen and that, that people face. And it may be part of the burden that God puts you within you to want to see people rescued from hell the place they're going. I don't know, I can't preempt it. And it may be that he does it for people that are close to you and your family or people in this community or people abroad. I, I don't know. But I do know that he wants us to stand in that gap and be ready and prepared. Um, at one point, Jesus said to Peter, he said, are you going to go as well? Because his disciples and a lot of people following him were leaving him. And Peter said, well, where can we go? We've nowhere to go. Because Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. You have the words of life. Those words that uh, Ezekiel were given, they were honey to him. They were the words of life, the words of goodness and his, and his help. And also it tells us that with Ezekiel, he, he gave, he set his, God was setting his forehead like flint, making him determined, giving him strength, and gumption to see this through. Setting our faces like flint. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't fear them. Don't fear them because I'm with you and I'm going to give you the determination and the strength to do it, the hearts to do it. 
when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. There is a battle and a determination and a forcefulness that comes with seeing the kingdom of God advance. And you might say to me, well, why us? Why us? Well, simply, when you start to read, particularly in Paul's letters in the New Testament, we're told things like, in the book of 1 Peter, it says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're called to be that. We're also, we're a people of hope, it tells us in Ephesians. We carry the only hope for the broken world that we live in. It is the only hope and we carry it. At that time when Ezekiel was there in captivity, the people he was speaking to still believed they had a hope because Jerusalem, although it had been beaten once, Judah, the city was still there and the temple was still there. That meant to them that God's presence was still there. There came a point where the temple was destroyed and there came a point where God's glory left the temple. One of the reasons why he had to have such a vision of God was for him to see that God is much bigger than living in a temple in a, in a, in a city. But we carry that hope, don't we, that we have in Jesus. We are a people of hope and that's part of standing in the gap. We carry a real hope, a hope that isn't uncertain, a wish list, but it's the only hope of change and salvation for the world. We're a people who've been given God's Holy Spirit. That's another reason why us. When Jesus went up to, uh, uh, after he rose again and he's with the disciples and he said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go back to the Father and so I can send the Holy Spirit to give you power to be my witnesses. He sent us his Holy Spirit. And also, he vests in the church and in his people a humility. He wants us to do it in a humble way, with compassion, with true compassion, to see the needs, in amongst our own needs and our frailties, God has called us to reach the lost because that's what Jesus did. To reach the sick because that's what Jesus did. To reach the poor because that's what Jesus did. And we're to do it with a humility. And as we stand in the gap, those are the ways, those are some of the directions that God will lead us. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also said, you are the light of the world. He partners with us and he calls us to be those people. So we're commissioned to reach the poor and needy and the lost and the sick. And we're commissioned to bring God's presence and grace and goodness and love and righteousness. We're ministers of reconciliation. That's what it tells us in Corinthians. And sometimes we've not to be happy with the way things are and that can make us uncomfortable. I get that. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
I'm just going to say a few more thoughts in conclusion. Can, what's the next slide? I can't remember. <laughs> right. Okay. I've written there, then, then you, they, the nations will know that I am the Lord. In the book of Ezekiel, there's a refrain that comes through 74 times. It says that. It either says, then you will know that I'm the Lord, or it says, they will know that I'm, that I'm the Lord, and then it later on it says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is God's plan. He wants everyone to know that he is the Lord. And as I read earlier, he says that he takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. And maybe that forms part of our burden, that we take no pleasure in seeing people dying. But he wants people to repent and live. And a couple of times in the book of uh, Ezekiel, he promises this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will move from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. To be that person who stands in the gap, I need God to renew my heart, that's for sure. Because there are times it can go a bit stony and a bit hard, but I need God to keep making it and renewing it and being that heart of flesh. And in Jesus, that's my only hope. And it might prove uncomfortable, it did for Ezekiel, he had to do lots of uncomfortable things, as I've said. But God asks us, are we willing to be those people? And I, I'm going to pray in a minute. And um, I'm going to pray a couple of things. I'm going to pray that, uh, that God gives me that heart of flesh that I need. And I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to pray about being uh, that watchman and that one who's available and standing in the gap. And if you want to pray that, with me and for yourself. I can't pray it for you. You've got to pray it for yourself and ask God to do something in you. And I'm going to pray that God will give me the burdens that matter to him and the things that matter to him because I believe that that's what he'd have us do and that's the primary thing he would impart to us this morning, that we take on the burdens of the things that matter to him. If you want to stand, you can stand with me. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you call us to be that people, to be your people, and to stand in that gap. Lord, we pray, Lord, we pray that you will put in our hearts the things that burden you and that matter to you. And that, Lord, you will give us those hearts of flesh and not of stone and that determination to see through what you've called us to see through and to be your people. Have your way amongst us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.